Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we have Mr. Rob Tabrak talking us all things money. That's right. Money matters, guys. And Rob is breaking down what are the big things that entrepreneurs and business owners overlook, miss? What should you have in place that maybe you don't have in place right now to ensure that you get the best result possible when it comes to your business? And a lot of that is hidden in plain sight inside your numbers. So, of course, if we can help you bring in some more revenue for your business, maybe you want to join us at our upcoming Mogul Mastermind, head to www.mogulmastermind.com.au where we'll be talking all things growing and scaling businesses. But until then, let's jump into how money matters with Rob right now inside the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. And I always like to start the podcast off, Rob, the same way every time, which is if I met you at a party and we were chatting and I said, Rob, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? First of all, the, going to a party is not exactly uh, the thing we have been doing the last year. Um, but my go-to answer would be, I help entrepreneurs get value out of their numbers. That is, in the, in the one short sentence, the absolute summary. And so when you say that, does that mean that most entrepreneurs don't value their numbers or don't pay enough attention? They definitely don't pay enough attention, and they definitely don't get the maximum amount of value from them. Um, most entrepreneurs, at least the ones that we work with, they get their bookkeeper reports maybe once a month, probably with some delay, and they maybe glance at it, they look at the revenue, they look at the profit, and they think, cool, things are going good or bad. And that's about it. And there is so much more value hidden in those numbers. By diving one or two layers deeper, they can get so much more value, make better decisions, grow faster, etc. So... Now, Rob, did you just grow up as a little kid being like, I'm going to be a numbers person and that's what I want to dive into? Or like, what attracted you to the field of understanding? Because obviously a lot of people, like even myself included, we focus on all the vanity stuff, the marketing, the sales, the sexy yeah. stuff. Numbers, I would say sometimes it's, for, like, even though I know it's important, arguably gets a little bit like tarred with the brush of being the unsexy side of business. What made you jump into that? Yeah, and I disagree with that. It is the sexy part. Because it's the one place in your business where everything comes together. It's where marketing talks to purchasing. It's where logistics talks to HR. Everything comes together in the finance part. And I kind of did grow up like this. My mom used to be an accountant. And I remember when I was six or seven years old, and we went to the local store, and my mom had to buy eggs or something like that. And she wanted to get rid of her change. So she took out her wallet turn it upside down, all the coins on the counter so she can like get rid of the coins. And me being like a five or six-year-old kid started to cry because I thought my mom ran out of money. So I have been the kind of numbers guy from young Zavon, yes. Oh, and look, I'm, I'm on your side of the fence because my first job uh, when I actually was like waiting between high school and university was at an accounting firm. So I got kind of thrown into it. So I got... Uh, probably a little bit of a deeper understanding than most people before I then eventually went and started my business and getting into it. But 
Why do you think it is that most entrepreneurs seem to disregard it or not really put the high level of value on numbers that they really should? Because exactly what you just said, it's not considered the sexy part. If you're an entrepreneur and you're a marketeer, looking at the marketing metrics, looking at your revenue or your new amount of customers, that's where your passion is. That's what you understand. That's where you see the value. If you're a product guy, you love developing a new product. The whole financial side is usually the afterthought. It's usually partially the vanity metrics like revenue. And it is what, at the end of the year, the accountant makes up for you and decides how much taxes you need to pay. But there's not much in between for most of them. So they miss out on a lot of the value um, by, for example, if you're a product guy and you want to launch a new product, you really want to know what your actual product cost is and how big your market size is and how much your gross margin would be on a certain price level to decide if you actually want to push on that product or not, or how much your marketing budget can be. But that level of data, it usually is available, but they don't look at it. So when you say it's available, because I think that one of the big things for a lot of people is pulling the data out. And obviously, as you mentioned, sometimes maybe once a month, they get a report from the bookkeeper or, or whoever's helping them out. Yep. Where, like, where is the place that people need to start paying attention like what are what are the uh, what's the platform that people really need to pay the most attention to to start getting some value out of the numbers? It is the bookkeeping, but it's critical that the bookkeeper puts in the right level of detail. So if your bookkeeper puts all the revenue in one line item, so just in your PL, you just have revenue, you're not going to see any level of detail. So your bookkeeper needs to already put it down on the right level of detail. So revenue by product or revenue by uh, by service, ideally even over the different uh, client categories or geographic areas, but get more detail in your books so that you actually have the data to look at. And that's, um, that's my biggest frustration usually because there is a bookkeeper and that's the lowest cost item that they can think, think of so that it's tax compliant. But if you have a good bookkeeper who does it with the right level of detail, you can get more value from it. And what we do is we put a nice layer over it. We put the analysis on top of it and we put the, the business interpretation of it. So we translate it basically, but it all starts with having the right level of detail uh, on the foundation. And so let me pay, give you two scenarios. So one, there's a service provider, they're growing their business, entrepreneur, they do everything themselves. And then I'll, I'll ask you this question, then, then I'll ask you the other scenario. For them, if they're doing their own bookkeeping sort of stuff, what's the, what's the first thing that they should be doing to make sure that if, if they are putting that data, that they're putting it in right? Find an external bookkeeper. As a business owner, you shouldn't be doing the books. And you can go with a freelancer, with an agency, with a full-time internal person. I don't really mind but make sure you as the owner don't do it. The bookkeeping itself, it's incredibly important, but it's not a $1,000 an hour task. It's quite operational. So you as the owner, don't do it, no matter your size, unless it's your hobby and you're like me, otherwise don't do it. Okay, so we've got now the other side, the people that have a bookkeeper or now they've just gone, oh, damn, Rob's told me I need to get a bookkeeper, they're going to go get one. What 
what do they need to make sure that obviously in an ideal world, the bookkeepers would do everything perfectly for us. Yeah. Let's just say that maybe they've just been doing some of the bare minimum. Like what should they start yeah. asking for? As you mentioned, there are a few things about separating out the revenues. Is there, a, is there like a hit list of things where they should go, hey, bookkeeper, please make sure you're doing this? Um, there's a long list, to be honest. First thing, make sure you get the right reports. And that is your P&L, your balance sheet, and your cash flow statements. The cash flow statement, most bookkeepers don't give it by default. But from my perspective, it's arguably the most important one of the three. So definitely ask for that one. Second one is ask yourself, do I, get the right, do I see enough level of detail in here that I know what's going on? So if I only look at revenue, do I see enough what the trends are of my different products or my different services? If that's a no, ask your bookkeeper to add that level of detail by changing the, uh, the chart of accounts or by working with tracking categories, um, but make sure you get that detail in. And if it's a good bookkeeper, that means he or she is going to come back to you with a bunch of questions on how to allocate, like what the rules are, like what kind of costs or what kind of revenue belongs where. If you have a bookkeeper that doesn't ask you questions, you might want to be looking for a different one. And again, most people like it if the bookkeeper doesn't ask much questions because it's the afterthought. You don't want to pay too much attention on it. Um, and there's not much value perceived in there. But if you have a bookkeeper that asks questions, that helps you think on how to book things, what falls where, what, what should I be tracking, that is incredibly important foundational input. The bookkeeper on the outside, he, he or she never knows as well as you what's going on in the business, but he or she should want to know. Do you, do you think most bookkeepers want to know? No. Most of them want to execute. In, in finance, there's this whole hierarchy in... Um, we call it the, the hierarchy of financial needs. So in the bottom, there's bookkeeping. That's just simple record keeping. What's going on? What happened in the past? Where is it going? Like, where did the money go? One level higher is reporting. So basically taking those records and making it into a report, a P&L or another slightly more advanced report. One level higher is planning and forecasting. So that's when finance starts to help the business with making a budget and planning and making a bit more business decisions. And on top, it's, uh, finance is really like a business partner. It's really helping to drive the growth. All of that relies on the bookkeeping being done well. But because the bookkeeping itself is so operational and execution, most people that do it don't really see the potential of that whole pyramid. So most bookkeepers underestimate the value that they can add. And that's really where obviously your whole business kind of exists is like getting, I suppose, yeah. both parties to really come, to, come together to be able to make sure that they understand their numbers super effectively. Exactly, exactly. And to be honest, we focus on the reporting part. That's where our core strength is. But because a lot of the bookkeepers we saw from our client side didn't really deliver the quality and the detail that we were asking for, that we need to deliver. We also start offering the accounting and the bookkeeping ourselves to make sure that the quality is right, the, the, the level of detail is right. And we know that we ask a lot of questions for on the input side because we need everything to be perfect for our reports. 
Yeah, that's that's so important to get that. And I think that's with, with anything. It's like having good, clean data with anything is so important. Same one, obviously, like, you know, us, we have a, a Facebook agency. Like if as soon as the data gets skewed in a funnel, like I was chatting with a client yesterday and he's like, oh, we need more leads. And I was like, oh, so like you converted all the other leads. He's like, I'm not really sure what happens once they come in. And I'm like, huh, what do you mean? You're not really sure what happens when they come in. We don't know the numbers there. It's like, we don't know if the problem we're trying to fix is the problem that should be fixed. It becomes a much heavier problem. Now, I'd love to know just like uh, um, anecdotally, and obviously you can exclude names if it's uh, any uh, protected names for clients, but is there, I'd love to know like a best case and a worst case thing. Is there anything where you go, we found someone and like these were all the issues which was costing them X amount of money. And maybe if there's a story where you're like, cool, we came in, help people identify this and then completely switch things around for them. The most interesting one, I think, is a, a agency business in um, uh, yeah in the podcasting space. I can't go much more detailed than there. They were doing well. The owner was super reluctant to hire and very conservative, uh, very prudent. Like he's he had most of our clients have like two or three months worth of cash in the bank. He had six, and he was still being nervous, and he was wondering if he should hire or not. So we ran the analysis for him and basically showed, this is where you are now. This is your margins. This is where you're spending the money. How does your pipeline look like? How does your deal flow look like? And then he told us like, well, we kind of have a few clients lined up, that, but I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have the time to sign them. Well, well, if you as the owner don't have the time to sign new clients, if there's anything more of a clear signal that you should be hiring, it's that. So he hired another two producers, an executive assistant. He more or less added 40 to 50% of his uh, cost in new team hires. And he is more relaxed than ever. He feels more space, signed up to new clients, is working now on his biggest deal ever. Simply by finally having the confirmation or almost a permission from himself to say, okay, I can't spend that money. I can afford to hire. And that frees up everything. On the worst case, that is usually the people that um, ignore the data, even if it's straight in their face. We've had one client, and here I'll protect him a bit more so I won't even mention the industry, where he was burning money every single month. And uh, he was hiring, and he had a team of about 15 people at that time. While from our side, from the financial side, we figured a team of nine, maybe 10 would have been enough. But he was super ambitious, felt very confident he could bring in the new clients to fill up the workload for that new team. And that took longer and longer and longer. So for several months in a row, we told him, your costs are too high, your money, your cash balance is going down. If you don't turn this around by either bringing in that revenue or by letting people go, you're going to crash in three to four months. And only in the last month, when the, when the bottom of the bank account was in sight, he finally decided to let go of a few team members and, so that he would balance out on a monthly rate. And that's really, really frustrating to see because you see the trend, you point it out, and he's like, no, I'm confident I can bring in the clients. And do you, especially, I suppose, with, with entrepreneurs who do have that belief in themselves instilled where they're like, 
I can make anything happen. Is is that a pretty regular thing where they oh, yeah. they kind of uh, <laughs> yeah have that have that idea? Be honest. If you're not overly optimistic, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur because the probability of you as an entrepreneur succeeding is ridiculously low. Yet we're all doing it. So there's something in our heads that thinks no 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 we are different. We can get this done. What I like to push people to do is I like I love their ambition. I like that they want to aim high and that they're that confident. But you got to plan for the worst case scenario. So yes, I'm very happy you're confident you can bring in those leads. But make sure that you you don't get into trouble if you don't, or if that takes two or three months longer. So line up the hires or line up the new costs, but don't confirm anything yet until you have the revenue confirmed. Yeah, that's very important. And so I always liken it to building, like having a bench. It's like, cool. Oh, if you need to, you can get someone, you know, tag someone in off the bench and then they can come in. Yeah. But there's no point in, in rushing to do it if the demand's not there, if the interest's not there, because exactly. otherwise you're bringing people on to then let them go, you know, a couple of weeks and or you're couple paying, months later. Yeah, you're paying their salary and you're not getting anything in return other than more headache. So when when you're assessing it, uh, making the decision, as you mentioned before, this person maybe had 15 people, they only need nine. Is that just based off of a deliverability type calculation or is there a do you look at things and go oh with an industry like this and a revenue of x like the staff cost base should not be more than y is that as is it as cut and dry in that or it's not as cut and dry as that um we look at it more like a staff cost as a percentage of revenue so that is a, there's a there's a for service businesses there's a range where we want to see it and that's what's, what's, definitely... that, what's that range uh, between 25 and 50%. It's still very wide because there's a lot of other factors involved. But if staff costs, especially billable staff costs, is more than 50% of revenue, you have a problem. And then you need to dive in what the problem is. Is your pricing too low? Are your salaries too high? Or is your, are you not billing enough? Like, Are you uh, being inefficient with your billing? But that's where you really need to start diving in. And with that particular case, they were tracking their time reasonably well. That's always the headache with service businesses because you're depending on the time tracking and that's nobody likes to do that. For them, we saw that some of their key operational staff was, was billable for less than 50% of the time. Well, that's a very easy observation that that's the problem because especially the more junior people, they should be at 70 to 80% ideally. Yeah, that's always interesting because I know there's a lot of people like, um, and what about, can I ask, like in the, obviously that's pretty easy for like service-based businesses, professionals. What about people in the coaching space? Have you done much work with those? And like where, for example, like they might have coaching, coaching program, information products. And does that kind of then vary from a staffing perspective? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That 50% is purely on service businesses, agencies, marketing agencies, PR, et cetera. For coaching, to be honest, I don't have enough experience with the industry to like have our own benchmark internally. But there the question really becomes, is it a group coaching or virtual coaching or is it one-on-one? Because that will have a massive impact on what, what staff cost ratio you're, you're supposed to have or you're, uh, you can afford to have. Or if it's purely um, like, a cor- like an online course kind of coaching where there's almost zero staff costs. We would look more on detail on a on a case by case level to understand what would we expect for that particular company to be a realistic range. 
And there are two things in there. One is there is whatever benchmark you use, it's not an absolute rule. If your positioning is different and you make a very deliberate strategic decision to, for example, be super labor intensive uh, and high touch with your clients, but you don't have the reputation yet to, to charge the premium rates for that, it may make a lot of sense to, for a couple of months or years, have a higher staff cost. So don't stare blind that, okay, it should be less than 50. So anything above 50 is wrong. It's more, in general, it should be below 50. But if there is a reason to deviate, make sure you document it for yourself and you're calling out yourself if you're, uh, if you're doing it for a bullshit reason. But there is plenty of space to set your own benchmark based on your strategy. I think that's super important. And obviously as well, that's why uh, people should, you know, engage someone such as yourself to help them interpret the numbers to know, you know, are you looking at a, a wrong benchmark? Are you too high or too low? Or could you, you know, potentially a, a adjust that? So hey, that's, that's super important. Now, Rob, as we get towards the end of our time here together, I always like to ask the same question at the end of every podcast, which is, is there a question that I didn't ask you that I should have? There is. What is the most important thing that, that most business owners overlook? Oh, yeah, please enlighten us. And that is operational cash flow. Everybody looks at revenue and profit. And I like to say revenue is vanity and profit is sanity, but cash flow is reality. So stop focusing on revenue. It's, it's a nice vanity metric to tell the neighbors or your friends to show how big your business is. But profit and especially operational cash flow, that's what matters. Because it's the operational cash flow that decides at the end of the day, can you afford to pay your team? Can you pay your own salary? Can you afford to invest? If, you have, if you're in a service business and you, are, um, you have a really big client, so you have a massive project, but the client is paying net 90 and maybe even later, you really got to wonder if you can afford to take on that project because you're going to be paying your team for that whole project. Then another 90 days to wait, and then hopefully that customer pays. So prioritize cash flow over, uh, over profit. Well, that, that's super important. And I know that uh, I think in the early days, I definitely did not pay attention to that in my business. And then I was like, I uh, had a realization. I got my first tax bill and GST bill that we have here in yeah. Australia. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is uh, no fun. So I need to fix this. So uh, I, I definitely hear that. Now, how, how did you deal with that? How did I deal with it? Yeah. Well, I, I, one of my favorite books was a book called Profit First by mm -hmm. Mike Michalowicz. So yeah. once I got that bill, I was like, cool. Put all of that on a payment plan so I can basically get make sure I get my funds together. Then reverse engineer and step back and look at, as you said, not looking at our sales for the month and being like, we're killing it in sales. And it's like, yeah. you know, actually <clears throat> cash received, change all my bookkeeping to a cash basis to make sure that I'm only looking at that and nothing else. And then because, you know, sometimes, in Australia, I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but in Australia, you can have like cash or accruals basis and you can yeah. have all these different versions. So I was like, everything cash. And that's what I measured everything off off. Then that's what I started to assess things on and started to put in my accounts and make sure I had the right things separated, change all the names on them. Because I know that for me, uh, being an entrepreneur, I was like, oh, cool. Like I have 10 grand that I've got in this account maybe to pay the, the tax. But if I put that into ads, 
I could go and make all this other money. So I'll just yep. take that. And but then as soon as I labeled it, literally on all my accounts now, one is called like government's money, do not touch. It's like it's not your money. This is the <laughs> government's money. You can't yeah. touch that. <laughs> just to get my mindset away from it. Cause and then I also went and hid them all. So I hid all the accounts. So I literally can only see like our two operational accounts and that and I can't see anything else. Our profit, everything is completely removed. My general Good. manager does all the all the distributions and it's like I make all my decisions based on only operational cash flow, not like profit, not Good. any of the government money. So it's uh yeah, I, I've been very uh strict on that after the first scare. I was like, oh, I I can't make this mistake again. Yeah, that's the that's the interesting part. It always takes we see that all the time, even in our own business. You first gotta bump your head to learn how important it is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's but, that's hugely powerful. But to be honest, I haven't heard that much yet that you're actually hiding the other accounts from plain sight. That's actually a really interesting one. Yeah, I just because I know that even myself, I I'm very like I'm a, I'm good at selling myself on ideas. So if we'll be there and I'll be like, but you could buy this like twenty thousand dollar thing, and then it should make you this. But you know, and it's like in my mind, the silly entrepreneur who always uh, is optimistic is like, of course, it's going to work, guaranteed. So yeah. now it's like, cool. I only make the decisions on literally what's like, what's, what's disposable in our operational and everything else is hidden. And then, and then uh, yeah, sometimes it gives me a bit of like heart palpitations. And then, you know, like when I'm like, oh, and it's like, you know, for example, like in Australia, tax time, 30 June, and I was like, oh, no. Then I was like, oh, all of our taxes in tax accounts. All right. Don't have to worry about it. Don't have to try and uh, think of where that's going to come from. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely powerful for me. But Rob, if there's a, if anyone's listened to this and they're and they're thinking to themselves, maybe I need a bit more clarity on my numbers. Maybe I do need someone to help uh, interpret my numbers to make it and pull it back into a business perspective from the from the bookkeepers. What's the best way for them to connect with you to find out more about what you guys are up to? The best way to connect with me is to go to connectrob.com. That's the easiest way, or or uh, through LinkedIn. And if they want to find out more what we're doing and how financeinsightmatters.com. And uh, we usually start with our discovery project, which is a game plan where we start to identify like what's your goal? What are the metrics that you need to understand that drive you towards that goal? And what do you need to change in your bookkeeping to make sure you can actually get that data on those metrics? For listeners here, we got a nice uh, discount on that one at financeinsightmatters.com slash Kim Barrett. Appreciate that. So guys, wherever you're listening or watching, reading, please hit the show notes above or below. We'll have all of those links there for you guys so that you can go and connect and find out about that. And if you know someone who maybe they don't know their numbers well enough, maybe they've hit a few of those, had those bumps against the head and they, they're ready to start taking things seriously there, please share this episode with them so they can hear from Rob, understand some of these insights and then, uh, and then hopefully turn things around. Rob, thank you so much for spending your time educating us on this important matter today. Really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thank you. We'll see you soon.